Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. Folks, we have been progressing through the Gospel of Luke and looking, really broadening our concept of Jesus and and really opening our eyes to the reality of who He is and the reality of what He is challenging us with. And, you know, as you think about it, and and this has been a great study for me as I've been studying it on my own to prepare these messages, a lot of what I thought I knew about Jesus is just being blown away when you just read the Gospel. When you take some time to consider what he's saying, it it, it just blows your mind because a lot of what we know is really what we assume or what somebody has told us, but not what we've studied ourselves. And so when we go through this, we, we see a lot about Jesus and how he interacts with us, especially when we've come to chapter 7 here. We're seeing him interacting with different people, and it's just amazing. So on one hand, he's with a centurion who has great faith, and he heals that man's servant. On another hand, he's with a woman who has no faith because she's desperate. She's beyond desperate. And she ra- he raises her son. And then we see the interaction with John's disciple because John has disappointed faith. What John was thinking about Jesus isn't happening. And so Jesus responds to him. Now we come to the point in the passage where Jesus is really talking about everybody else. That includes us. He takes the the moment of John's disciples coming and he issues a challenge to everyone who's listening to him and to you and I who are reading this about why we're here. That's a good question, isn't it? Why are you here this morning? Is it your duty? Is it your Christian duty? Or... Did somebody bring you and you really had no choice? And it's like, well, yeah, mom and dad told me to be here or she told me to be here or, you know, just assume that I got to be here. I mean, why are you here? The The whole gamut of why you're here and why you're a Christian is going to be challenged just by what he's saying here in this passage. Because he's going to say, what were you looking for? Are you just a spectator? Are you? Are you just a spectator in your Christian life just wanting to see what God will do? Or is God calling you to something more? He wants more than just spectators. Do you realize that? He wants more than just you waiting to see what he'll do. So let's look at the passage together. I think as we go through it, we'll see what Jesus is getting at. So I want you to notice with me verse 24 through 35. We're going we're gonna to look at these verses together. Look at verse 24. When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? Prophet? Yes, I say to you, more than a prophet. 
And this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned for you, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking wine, and you said, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. We can really break this passage down into three sections. We can see the confrontation. We can see the response. And then we can see the assessment that Jesus makes. So let's talk about, first of all, the confrontation. The first thing Jesus is asking them, as he's reflecting upon the ministry of John, he's addressing this large crowd who's there, the first thing he's asking them is, is what were you looking for? What were you looking for? He says to this crowd, look, why did you go to the wilderness just to see scenery? Did you go in to just to see a reed that would be blowing in the wind? Basically, you know, there's a couple of ways you can look at it. You could say that they basically went to look at the scenery and the grass that was blowing in the wind. Or did you go see someone who had no conviction that based upon the wind and what the direction was, he spoke? What were you looking for? Did you go looking for somebody who was in soft clothes? Now, what that kind of is a picture of, you have to understand, their clothes back then was a little bit rough, coarse material. Those who dwelt, who had affluence and money, were dressed in silks, fine clothes. So what is he saying here? He's saying, did you go look for somebody who, was, who had it, who has the money? He makes the comment and says, you know, those who have that kind of stuff, they're, in, they're with the kings. They dwell in the palace of the king. What did you go look for, he said? A prophet? He said, yeah, more than a prophet. What were you looking for? You know, that's a good question, folks. When we come to a place like this, when we come to a gathering like this as a church, the question is, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? When you pray on your own, even if it doesn't even have to be here, when you on your own are talking to God, what are you looking for? So he's confronting us with the reality of our motives. You see that? What are your motives when it comes to God? He goes on and says this, they saw God's work through a man of God. They saw God's work through a man of God. He says, what were you looking for? I'll tell you what you were looking for. You were looking for a prophet, and you saw one, and God was doing mighty things through him. Look at what it says. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. He's talking about this was the chosen one. You have to understand, the Messiah was to come, but Isaiah also told us that there would be a prophet before the Messiah would come who would what? Prepare the way, prepare the people 
for the coming of the Messiah. And here's what he's saying. He was among you. God's man was among you. And you saw God's work through that man. So he's confronting them here. And here's the point he wants to make. And this is the point I think you need to grasp. See, this is where we get down to the motives. Why are you here? What are you looking for? But look at what he says then, verse 28. He says this, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is, a, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. So let's stop for a moment. He's saying of all the prophets that existed. So if you look at all the prophets in the Old Testament, he's saying there wasn't a greater prophet than John. John is the greatest of all the prophets. John the Baptist was. But listen, continue on here. Look at what he says, verse 28. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Here's the point I want you to see. Those belonging to God's kingdom are greater. Those belonging to God's kingdom are greater. Let me explain to you what's going on here. See, Jesus is challenging them. Folks, he's challenging you and I today. Here's what he's doing. He's challenging them. He's challenging you and I with, where are you at? What do you believe? What are you looking for from God? Why are you here? And, and, and it's not just the service, but why are you here with God? Why, why are you a Christian? He goes on and says, there was this man who was great, but I'm telling you, yeah, he may have been great, but those who belong to the kingdom, those who truly believe, will be greater. Do you realize that? Let me think about it. When we think about, we read like John the Baptist, we read about those guys, and you think, man, those were great men of God and great spiritual guys. Jesus is saying, the least, we would say, yeah, we're the least, will be greater. You'll be greater. Do you realize that? So, I mean, you think about that. You will be greater in the kingdom than John the Baptist. You'll be greater in the kingdom than some preacher. This is the point he's trying to make here. He's trying to challenge them with their whole essence of why they're there. Are they seeking God, or are they just along for the ride? Folks, are you seeking God, or are you just along for the ride? And if you're seeking God, you'll be greater in the kingdom of heaven than if you're just along for the ride. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're along for the ride, there isn't going to anything be happening. But if you're truly seeking Him, you'll be greater in the kingdom of heaven. That's the point he's making here. So he goes on and he talks about the response of the people here. Here's the response of the people. Look with me, verse 29 through 30. And when all the people heard Him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, having not been baptized by him. Here's what I want you to see. First thing, the response is, the outcasts grasp the truth and acknowledge God. The outcasts grasp the truth and acknowledge God. Here's what Luke is showing us. When Jesus said this thing, he's basically challenging why they're there. The outcast, so that's the common people, and then it's not just the common people. He mentions specifically one group of people, the tax collectors. Let me just stop for a moment. I mean, we don't like tax collectors, do you? You When the IRS calls you, besides picking yourself off the floor, you're scared. You don't like the IRS calling you. Well, back in that day, they were hated. They were seen as treacherous. 
Nobody liked tax collectors. They were the outcasts of the outcasts. But the message spoke to them, and they responded. Because they realized the message that John was bringing, the message that Jesus was bringing, is that they, even they, could be accepted by God. Even they could be accepted by the Lord in spite of what they do for a living. So the outcasts respond. And you know, that's a great, wonderful message, isn't it? The outcasts, the least of these in our society, responded. But there's another response here. Look at the other response here. And, and this is what I want you to see. The religious and the affluent rejected. The religious and the affluent rejected. That is, the religious people. That is, those who, who kind of were, you know, they, had, they looked like they worshipped God. They, looked, they did all the right things. They dressed the right way. Went to all the religious meetings. And even the affluent, and, and a lot of them who were religious were affluent, they rejected it because they saw it as being beneath them that, you know what, he's attracting nothing but these outcast people. And so they rejected. Stop for a moment. Think about that. Those who were the least received it. Those who were the affluent rejected it. Let me just stop for a moment. I've got to say this. You know what the problem with the church today is? Here's the problem with church today. we got things messed up. When you look at who a typical church ministers today to, or who the church tries to reach today, guess who it is, folks, of these two groups of people. Who is it? Yeah, the affluent and the religious. Do we try to reach out to the average person, to even the outcast? Do we? You guys know the answer. You're just not saying anything. Do we? No. See, we've got this concept. If we could just reach the affluent, if we could just reach the the, the big shots, if we could just reach, then we'll make an impact. And so our churches are geared to what? Reaching the affluent. But I want you to notice something. Who responded? Look with me at verse 28. Who responded and who rejected? Anybody? Who responded? The outcasts. Who rejected? The hoity-toity. See how we've got it messed up? And so it really makes sense. When you think about what Jesus is saying here, doing here, he's really saying, why are you here? Why are you here? Is it so you can feel comfortable? There was a great, great missionary. He went to China at first and then ended up in Africa. A man by the name of C.T. Studd. He was a British man. He uh, grew up in affluence. was a cricketer, of all things. What, you wonder, what, what is he, a cricket keeper? No, he, he played cricket. And he was a man who grew up in wealth, but he left it all for Jesus. And so he went to China with a China Inland Mission, and then he went to Africa. And here's what he said. This is a great quote, and it's a quote that I have written down and that has motivated me. He said this. Some people want to live within the sound of chapels and bells, but I want to run a mission within a mile of the gates of hell. Here's what he's saying. Most people today in church want to live within the comfort of church, the comfort of the bells, the comfort of the people, the comfort of affluence. But he says, you know what? I don't want that. I want to run a mission. I want to help people. 
within a mile of the gates of hell. That's been motivating me, folks. That should motivate us as a church. Do we want to just be comfortable? Or do we want to impact people where they're at? That's reality. That's what he's saying here. See, they, they, the religious and the affluent rejected it. So here's what's going on. So he makes an assessment. Look at what Jesus says. He, I mean, Jesus is brutal, folks. I'm going to be honest with you. Jesus doesn't just, he doesn't just come along and say, oh, shame on you, little Jimmy. Jesus is brutal with them. Look at what he says here. Look at with me, verse 31 to 35. And the Lord said, To what shall I liken the men of this generation, and what are they like? Here's what he says, and I'll explain it to you. They are like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another, saying, We play the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. Here's what he's saying. Jesus compares them to complaining children. Can I put it in everyday talk? Jesus says they're whining brats. Here's the picture Jesus says. He says, he, he challenges it. He says, you know, some of you respond, but some of you don't. The, the, those who should know better don't know better. And here's what you're like. He says, you're like kids who play in the marketplace. Now you have to understand it's a little bit different. We, we, you know, most parents don't want their kids playing downtown, right? It's just too many cars, you're going to get hurt. But back then it wasn't that way. You'd have a town and, and you know, the elders, I mean, folks, folks, life was a little bit more relaxed back then. So you'd have the marketplace and the kids would be just all about playing. And here's what he's got, the picture is, you got a bunch of kids and they're trying to get other kids to play with them. You ever notice that? Have you seen that where you try to get other kids to play with them? And it's doing everything they can to get the attention of other kids. And if the other kids aren't, then they get ticked off. Well, I'm just not going to play with you then. Jimmy won't play with me. I tried. And see, back then, they didn't have the stuff we have now for our kids. They would play a flute and expect other kids to dance with them. And, well, nobody's dancing with them. Or they would mock a funeral service. That's what it means to mourn and you didn't weep. Is you know They would pretend to, to have a funeral because that was a part of their culture. And he's saying, you're basically like little whiny brats who are complaining because Jimmy's not playing. Think about it. You're complaining because God's not playing. I mean, think about it. We're like whiny little brats. Oh, God! You should have been here! Thought you loved me! You're not playing right, God! You should have helped me with all these problems. Where are you? This is what Jesus is saying to them. He, he's making assessment. He says, what do I liken this generation to? And folks, we're the same generation, aren't we? We're, we're, we're whiny brats. We're complaining children. You know, i, I got four, four, four kids. And I'm always amazed. They'll come and, and one of them will say, well, he won't play with me. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How do you respond to that? Please instruct me. I ain't figured it out. We do the same thing with God. In fact, Jesus goes one step further. They rejected God's servant in Jesus himself. They rejected God's servant in Jesus himself. Look at what they say. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Here's what Jesus is saying. You know, John came 
And, I mean, he was perfect. He didn't drink any wine. He may have dressed rough, but he, I mean, I mean wearing camel hair, eating locusts, I mean, and you said, the demon, basically what they're saying is, he's crazy. You have to understand the culture. When you say to someone, you have a demon, it's just like us saying, he's whacked. He's, he's crazy. Comes Jesus, he's hanging out with people that, quote, aren't acceptable. And they're saying, well, you know, hey, I'm sure Jesus isn't doing right. What's he saying here? He's, they're, they're rejecting him. Folks, we do the same thing. When Jesus or God doesn't live up to what we expect of him, what happens? Well, I'm, I'm done with that Jesus thing. I'm done with that God thing. He didn't do what I wanted him to do. He didn't answer that prayer. They rejected. That's the assessment. They're whining brats. They're complaining children. And they rejected God's servant and Jesus himself. But then Jesus stops for a moment. He makes that assessment and then he brings it back around. Aren't you glad Jesus brings it back around? Because you could sit there and say, man, I'm just a whiny brat and I'm rejecting. That's what I got out of the message today. No, listen to what Jesus, he just doesn't leave it there. Look with me. Look at what he says there, verse 35. But wisdom is justified by all of her children. What's he saying here? Here's what he's saying. Jesus' wisdom is reflected in changed lives. Yeah, you can reject him, but the reality is this. You want to see the reality of Jesus? The reality of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus, is shown and those who truly follow Him. Because their lives are going to be different. Their lives are going to change. There's going to be something different about them. How do we, how do we, how do we apply this to our lives? Three things I want you to think about. i got two questions and a thought. Here's the first question. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? And, and, that's, and that, you know, that's a pretty broad statement, but let me just kind of shrink it down for you. What are you looking for from God? What are you looking for? Are you trying to God thing out, and as long as everything's going well, fine, yeah, I'll love you, God, but as soon as stuff goes wrong, I've had it with you, God, I'm out of here, I'm doing my own thing. That's a lot of attitude, isn't it? We, we, I mean, you'd be surprised how many people have that focus. And maybe you're here today and you've got that focus. What are you looking for? Are you looking for God to, to, to be the big benevolent benefactor to just give you what you want? You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I've just got to be honest with you. I remember, I didn't get married until I was 27. And, there, there, you know, in those, those 20s, it, it, you can be lonely. And so a lot of times I was praying for, you know, God, I think she's the one. God, help me with that girl. There might have been four girls I prayed that way with. I'm going to tell you right now, I am so glad he didn't answer those prayers. <laughs> he did answer prayer number five, okay? <laughs> but I'm glad he doesn't give us what we want. Did you understand what I'm saying? What are you looking for? Why are you here today? Well, because somebody drug me here. Yeah, and so you came and you're confronted with a question. What are you going to do with him? What are you going to do with him? What are you looking for? Did you come just to hear some old guy get up here? You didn't just come. You came for a reason. What are you looking for? Here's the second question. How do you respond to Jesus? 
How do you respond to him? You're going to be confronted with him here, folks. I'm going to be honest with you. When you come here, you're going to be confronted with the reality of the real Jesus. You're going to be confronted with what he wants from you. He's going to challenge you. He's going to challenge your motives. He's going to challenge every aspect of your life. He's going to challenge you. He's going to say, what's the real deal with you? So how are you going to respond to that? And let me explain something, folks. He wants more than just simply, well, I believe you, but I'm going to go on and do my own thing. When you look at Jesus, he says things like this, take up your cross and follow me. And he's not talking about the little gold one we wear around our neck. He calls us to forsake all to follow him. Well, how do you respond to that? You've got to make a decision about him. Is he real or not? Is he who he is or isn't? Uh, I think i got a little bit of time. No, you don't. Indecision is a decision. And then finally, the reality of Jesus will change your life. That's my thought. If you are truly seeking after him, if you truly want him, the reality of who he is will change your life. Changed my life. You know, I, I was a 19-year-old punk in South Carolina studying engineering. The only reason why I was in engineering because I wanted to make money. And I was confronted with the reality of Jesus. And the whole, my whole life changed. Turned my whole life upside down to where money didn't mean anything anymore. All that meant was Jesus. It'll change you. Oh, you say, so your motive for money changed. Is that all that changed? No. All you got to do is look at my family, folks. You just ask Lori. You look at my family. And, and, and it's like, you can't even, except for the fact that we look like each other, and I got that German rough personality like them, night, it's a night and day difference between me and my family. Because Jesus changed me. The reality is that Jesus will change you, but you've got to seek after him. So why are you here? Are you just a spectator? He wants more than spectators. Folks, here, here's what I want you to do. This is the final thought. Let's talk about us as a church for a moment. He wants more than spectators in church. He, wants, he doesn't want a church of spectators. He wants a church of people who are going to reach out to others that others aren't even going to reach out to. Because they're ready. In fact, this scripture just came to mind. Hold on a second. I want you to think with me for a moment. The greatest example we have of somebody reaching out was Jesus. John chapter 4. Great chapter. I challenge you to read it. Jesus meets with a Samaritan woman at the well. Remember that story? The disciples come along. First of all, they're wondering, what in the world is Jesus talking to that woman for? Because in that culture, two taboos. Number one, you don't talk to women. Number two, it was a Samaritan. They are definitely outcasts. We're talking prejudice here. Why is Jesus talking to her? And so they had gone. The reason why they were away is they went to get food. And they come to Jesus and they say, okay, Master, it's, it's time to eat. And he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm already satisfied. Where did he get food from? They don't even have any clue what's going on. So he has to explain to him what's going on. And then here's what he said. Pray to the Lord of harvest that he would what? Send forth laborers for what? The fields are white unto harvest. And at that moment, folks were coming from the Samaritan town because of that woman to what? Your Jesus. A lot of scholars believe that what he looked out over the fields was as he saw their white turbans. And what he was saying was, is the harvest is right there. It's the people you're rejecting. Folks, the fields of 
Kerwinsville, Hyde, Clearfield are white unto the harvest. They're white. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.